Welcome to Words of the Wise, an introduction to the book of Proverbs by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan. Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 10. Behind the Mask. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. Proverbs 25, verse 6, New King James Version. Behind the dazzling serpent, who utters sweet words, and who seems so concerned with Eve's happiness, hides the enemy who plots her death. As Genesis 3, 1-6 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Disguised as an angel of light, Satan prepares the most dangerous traps for humankind. Second Corinthians 11.14 says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Even more dangerous and deceitful is self-pretension. When we claim to be what we are not, we end up cheating others and even ourselves. There are different ways to deceive. One of the most common is through language. Some of the proverbs in this exploration will deal with words, lying words, flattering words, pretty words that use nice sounds, and wonderful sentiments to cover ugly thoughts and intentions. Let's be careful not only about what we say to others, but about how we interpret what others say to us. Perhaps this exploration's message could be summed up with Jesus' words to his disciples as he was sending them on their first mission. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10, verse 16. Mystery of God Life is full of mysteries. Physicist David Deutsch wrote that everyday events are stupendously complex when expressed in terms of fundamental physics. If you fill a kettle with water and switch it on, all the supercomputers on Earth working for the age of the universe could not solve the equations that predict what all those water molecules will do. 
even if we could somehow determine their initial state and that of all the outside influences on them, which is itself an intrackable task. Here is the information for that paragraph. The author is David Deutsch. The book is entitled The Beginning of Infinity, Explanations That Transform the World. The publisher is the Penguin Group, Kindle Edition. If we are confounded about something as mundane as water molecules, how could we even begin to expect to understand the mysteries of God? Let's listen to Proverbs 25, verses 2 and 3. What point is the author making, and how would you apply it to a broader situation? It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. The heaven for height, and the earth for depth, and the heart of kings is unsearchable. What makes the glory of God different from the glory of kings is his mysterious nature, and by implication our human incapacity to fully understand him. The Hebrew root stir, which means to conceal, to hide, from which comes our word mystery, is often used in the Hebrew scriptures to characterize what makes God the only true God. One example is Isaiah 45 verses 14 and 15. Thus saith the Lord, The labor of Egypt, and the merchandise of Ethiopia, and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, which shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come after thee, in chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Saviour. There are things about God that we simply cannot understand. On the other hand, what makes the glory of kings is their willingness to be scrutinized. Transparency and accountability should be the first quality of leadership, as described in detail in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20, which say, When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And when it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law, in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment, to the right or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. In these verses, a fitness for leadership comes as a result of first submitting to God's design for leadership, obeying and doing his laws. It is the king's duty to search out a matter, 
that is, to give an explanation for events and for what he is doing. Life is so full of unanswered questions, isn't it? In a split second, seemingly random events can mean the difference between life and death. Some people go from one tragedy to another, while others do fine. All the events in life remind us to live by faith. What things are happening right now in your life that you have to accept by faith, trusting in God? Honestly, what other choice do you have? The Fool as Wise Though not a recent fabrication, especially in the Western world, the idea has taken hold in recent years that argues for the relative nature of truth. That is, what is true for one person or one culture might not be true for another. While on one level this is always correct, for example, some places drive on the right side of the road while others on the left side of the road, on another it's a dangerous error, especially in the moral realm. Certain things are right and others are wrong, regardless of where we live or our personal preferences. In the end, we must always submit our views to the Word of God and the truths found there. God's Word must be our ultimate source for knowing right and wrong, good and evil. Here is a question for you to answer, based upon five texts in the Bible. First, here's the question that we will be answering. What must you be careful not to do? This will be our primary text, Proverbs 26, verses 11 and 12. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Judges 21, verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 and 21. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly, to you, word. As we have heard, this idea of doing what is right in one's own eyes is nothing new. Yet it was as wrong then as it is now. As we have already seen, none of us understands everything. In fact, we don't fully understand anything. We all have areas where we need to grow and learn, so let's always be open to the fact that we don't have all the answers. 
In the case of fools, as seen in this proverb, the reason to be concerned is that the influence of their folly will go beyond themselves. They are now more convinced than ever of their wisdom. They will therefore repeat their folly. They may even be so convincing that others will think they are wise, will honor them, and consult them for advice, which can lead to big problems, as Proverbs 26, verse 8 points out. As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. Folly will spread, but labeled as wisdom, it can be that much more damaging. What is even worse, fools are so foolish that they are not aware of their folly. On a personal, reflective, and introspective note, how often are you tempted to compromise on what you know are core values, core truths? What happens, however, when certain core values collide? How do you know which values are more important than the other values? The Sluggard Proverbs 26, verse 15 in the New International Version says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Just as students who spend more time and energy preparing to cheat on an exam than studying for it, it is ironic that lazy people work hard to find excuses for their laziness. Listen to Proverbs 26, Verses 13 through 16. What are we being warned about in these verses? The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom, it grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. The lazy person may be right. There is a lion in the road. Proverbs twenty-six thirteen, New King James Version. Therefore, it is wiser to stay at home and not to confront the danger. But, by doing just that, we miss all the opportunities that life offers. We will never enjoy the beauty of the rose if we do not run the risk of being hurt by its thorns. We will not be able to move forward if we are afraid of obstacles. People who do not dare to commit themselves will never taste the fullness of life. Look at some of the other imagery in those verses. Just as the door swings on its hinges but doesn't go anywhere, lazy people turn in their beds. That is, they just change position. They don't go anywhere either. The other image in verse 15 is even more startling. They can get their hands into a dish of food, but are too lazy to bring them back to feed themselves? But even worse is their intellectual laziness, their close-mindedness and certainty about their own positions. Therefore, they will always be right, 
wiser than seven wise men, as Proverbs 26, verse 16 said, and will not be open to other views, perhaps wiser views than their own. Those who think they have all the answers usually don't. In the judgment, men will not be condemned because they conscientiously believed a lie, but because they did not believe the truth, because they neglected the opportunity of learning what is truth. Ellen G. White, in her book Patriarchs and Prophets, on page 55. On a practical note now, how do you understand your role in giving your friends, perhaps family members or co-workers, the opportunity to learn what is truth? For you, where does your responsibility begin, and where does it end? enemy. If we are more disappointed by our friends than by our enemies, it is because we expect good from our friends and evil from our enemies. It doesn't always work out that way, though, does it? That's why Proverbs warns us that sometimes a friend behaves like an enemy, and an enemy like a friend. Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6 say rebuke can actually be better than something. Better than, can you fill in the blank? Here are the verses. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Can you fill in the blank? Did you hear the better than answer? If your answer was secret love, then you are correct. Love is not just about kisses and sweet words. Love will sometimes oblige us to rebuke our friend or our child, and it can run the risk of appearing unpleasant, judgmental, and critical. We might even lose friends if we speak out. Yet if we do not warn our friends about what they are doing, especially if it will bring them harm, then what kind of a friend are we? Open rebuke is also a sign that our love is not built on illusion and pretension, but is based on truth and on trust. Proverbs 27, verse 17, tells of the possible effect of confrontation between friends. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The image of iron sharpening iron suggests a reciprocal benefit. Friendship tested by true confrontation will improve not only the quality of the friendship, but also stimulate and strengthen both personalities. The respective weapons will gain in efficiency. We will end up more equipped for our future struggles. People who take refuge in themselves and their own ideas only, and never confront the challenge of different views, will not grow in knowledge or in character. Have you ever been rebuked for something that could have really hurt you? Suppose you hadn't been warned about it. Keeping this in mind, if you need to do the same for someone else, how can you do it in a redemptive manner?
rather than in a judgmental and critical way. enemy as friend. How would you summarize these verses? Proverbs 26, verses 17 through 23. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, belonging not to him, is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor, and saith, Am not I in sport? Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail-bearer, the strife ceaseth. Verse 21 As coals are to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a tail-bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. Proverbs, again, gets into the power of words, this time dealing with the harm caused by slander and quarreling. Those who slander your enemy before your face, to make you think they're on your side, are really like charcoal. They feed the quarrel and lead you into the fire of more troubles. Likewise, fervent lips, which sound so eloquent, can hide a wicked heart. The politician who wants to be elected, the salesman who wants to sell his wares, the playboy who wants to seduce a woman, all of them know about the power of eloquence. This passage's lesson is that we should be careful not to believe in every nice speech we hear. They can be dangerous precisely because they are nice. Some people are very good speakers. They can sound so persuasive so sincere and so caring, when inside, something completely different is going on. Though we have all been victims of people like this, have you at some point been guilty of doing the same thing? Saying one thing to a person but thinking or feeling something completely different? Proverbs here speak strongly against this deceptiveness. Here's a quote from page 71 of Ellen G. White's book entitled Reflecting Christ, which says, Everything that Christians do should be as transparent as the sunlight. Truth is of God. Deception in every one of its myriad forms is of Satan. It is not a light or easy thing to speak the exact truth. We cannot speak the truth unless we know the truth. And how often preconceived opinions, mental bias, Imperfect knowledge, errors of judgment, prevent a right understanding of matters with which we have to do. We cannot speak the truth unless our minds are continually guided by Him who is truth. Okay, time for some reflective introspection. How open and transparent are you in what you say? How much of a disconnect, if any, is there between your words and your thoughts? Do you really think that such duplicity, being two-faced and deceitful, can be maintained indefinitely? Matthew 10, verse 26 and 27, 
tell that sooner or later everything will be uncovered. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Let's continue exploring. The agency of the Spirit of God does not remove from us the necessity of exercising our faculties and talents, but teaches us how to use every power to the glory of God. The human faculties, when under the special direction of the grace of God, are capable of being used to the best purpose on earth. Ignorance does not increase the humility or spirituality of any professed follower of Christ. The truths of the divine word can be best appreciated by an intellectual Christian. Christ can be best glorified by those who serve him intelligently. The great object of education is to enable us to use the power which God has given us in such a manner as to represent the religion of the Bible and promote the glory of God. We are indebted to Him who gave us existence for the talents that have been entrusted to us, and it is a duty we owe our Creator to cultivate and improve these talents. The reference to that quotation is Counsels to Parents, Teachers, and Students, pages 361 and 362 by Ellen G. White. Here are several questions to ponder and respond to. Think about the mysteries that we find in everyday life, whether in nature, in human interactions, or in questions about faith and the nature of God and salvation. It's one of the great ironies of life that the more we learn, the more we realize how little we know. Why is that even more true when it comes to spiritual truths. What are some truths that are indeed relative, cultural, and changing? How do we distinguish them from truths that are eternal, universal, and immutable? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.